Hello, and welcome to Karmic Imprints, a podcast that explores the unconscious stories, mythologies, soul memories, ancestral legacies, astrological archetypes, past life patterns, and historical happenings that drive us, so we can awaken to and engage with this underlying psychic content in a more conscious and intentional way. I'm your host, Diana Westley, an evolutionary astrologer, soul coach, and lover of all things mythical and archetypal. And today I'll be sharing a bit about the story behind karmic imprints, along with the celestial forecast for 2023. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. So this podcast was really born from my work as an evolutionary astrologer. And for those who are unfamiliar with what evolutionary astrology is, um, it's basically a branch of astrology that assumes there must be some soul, some spirit, some essence that existed before this incarnation, before this lifetime, um, in order for our birth chart to be what it is. Um, so the idea is our, our birth chart is coming from somewhere. It's not totally random. The planets weren't aligned in the sky in this kind of random sporadic dance, um, but rather there's some reason, some soul yearning that, that caused us um, to embody, to, to be born at the exact moment that we were in order to continue our evolution, in order to continue our growth. So again, evolutionary astrology assumes that the the universe and you know our our role in it and our interaction with it our interaction with the cosmos isn't random but rather divinely designed in order to give us the tools the resources the energies and so on that we need to continue growing and to kind of manifest our our soul's purpose in this lifetime um to take that that energy that existed in the cosmos this archetypal energy to take, you know, the wisdom that that is inherent to our souls, um, the gifts and the talents that that we're here to ripen and and bring to the world, um, that everything aligned for our highest good and and in order for us to be able to do just that. All of that said. <laughs> If our souls have existed before this lifetime, there are memories imprinted on our souls that affect us and drive us as we move into this incarnation. And so in evolutionary astrology, one of the major markers that we look at is called the south node of the moon. And it basically um, depicts or, or kind of denotes this past life story or the set of past life stories that we're working with in this lifetime. Um, some of those past life stories can get us really stuck in old patterns. And so again, with astrology, we can illuminate what those patterns are, um, figure out what these stories are that we've gotten stuck in so that we can move forward and continue growing. And so as an evolutionary astrologer, as someone who's kind of obsessed with this idea that 
our souls existed before this lifetime. And again, there's gold, there's wisdom, there's gifts, there's talents that we're carrying into this lifetime. But there's also a lot of stuff that maybe we got kind of wrong. Or maybe we had these experiences that um, that limited us in some way. There were external factors that, that limited us. And now we need to be able to grow past that, grow around those things, overcome ourselves, our, old, our own hangups, our own fears, and so on. Those are the karmic imprints, um, at least as far as I'm concerned with an evolutionary astrology. That said, there are so many other ways of thinking about these unconscious stories that are at play for us. Um, some of them come from history, um, whether it's a past life or something that we're pulling from this collective unconscious, this, this experience that, that we all feel maybe on like a visceral level that again can support us in some ways or can block us depending on what that experience is. If it's something that's rooted in fear, um, then, then maybe it becomes more of a blockage, but it's still there. It's, it's, it's driving us. Um, similarly, our ancestral um, legacies, you know, the things that we inherit from our families, from our ancestors, there may be ancestral traumas kind of running in our bloodline. There's a lot of different ways of thinking about this. And so my goal with this podcast is to bring on other people um, from time to time. Certain episodes will just be me, maybe talking about astrology, talking about the nodes of the moon, like that lunar south node linked to past lifetimes, um, and other areas of my own personal expertise. And then some podcasts I'll be bringing in experts who also kind of um, work in this realm of, of um, uncon on unconscious, <laughs> maybe past life patterning and things like that. Um, so at this point in time, I, I don't have all of my interviews lined up. I do have a fantastic past life regressionist that I'll be speaking with. Um, there are a couple of authors who have written books on different mythologies and archetypes that play out for us um, on this unconscious level. Depth psychology, union analysts um, do a lot of work in this space, and, and I'll be bringing some of them on. And as always, um, please feel free to reach out to me if you have someone that you think would be a fantastic guest for this podcast. This is the first episode. Everything's just beginning. Um, and so while I do have um, a vision <laughs> and, and some connections and, and people who are willing to come on, um, I would really appreciate any um, fantastic leads that you have, people that you'd like to hear from here, people who, again, have these specialties in this area of past lives, of history, mythology, um, depth psychology, and so on, or even things beyond that. There's things that I don't know about. Ooh, Akashic Records specialists as well. <laughs> so there's there's such a huge world out there um, around working with, with these past life memories, with these, um, you know, unconscious patterns and stories and so on. So again, I would love your feedback, your ideas as I um, continue on this journey and, and bring this podcast to you on a regular basis. The name for this podcast actually came from one of my favorite tarot decks. And so this is the Triple Goddess Tarot by Isha Lerner. And the artwork is fantastic. That is by Mara Friedman. Um, it's just one of these decks that that really looks at the tarot, looks at this um, hero's or rather heroine's journey in kind of a different way. 
And so the name for the traditional devil card in this deck is actually karmic imprints. And the idea behind it is, you know, the devil isn't something out there. Um, it's not something that's coming to get us. And it's also not something like inherently evil within us. It's just this accumulated stuff, you know, psychic content that we've, um, you know, accumulated maybe over the course of, of many, many lifetimes. And in order to continue forward, we have to awaken to that psychic content. We have to become conscious of it and become aware of it so that anything that's wounded us or blocked us is keeping us fearful, that's keeping us in kind of a lower vibration um, can be awoken to and, and overcome overcome <laughs> um so that's kind of the idea there um, behind that card and in behind this podcast so um again i just really want to thank the creators of that tarot deck the triple goddess tarot um it's been such a source of inspiration it's just really beautifully done definitely check it out if you've never heard of it before um and thank them as well for helping to inspire the name behind this podcast um, so that's kind of the the story there, both my story to, um, to Karmic Imprints and, and the story behind the name. Um, I'll be sharing more about this podcast, how it originated, about myself as well in future episodes. Um, but for now, I just want to thank you again for being on this journey with me. And without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and dig into the astrology of 2023. Um, it's a really big year astrologically. There's a lot of major cosmic shifts happening um, and lots of exciting stuff coming up for us. So that is what's coming up next. So a quick note on astrology. When I speak to dates in this podcast, I'll be um, talking about dates in Greenwich median time or the universal time. Um, so I've got folks, um, clients that are all around the world. I'm personally, personally located in California in the United States um, on Pacific time. But, but again, since people are going to be tuning in from all over the place, I'm going to go with kind of the standardized universal time. So if I say that something is happening on a specific date, you can always go and check. Maybe it's actually happening the morning of that date, universal time, but it's happening, um, you know, the, the previous night for you. Um, or things like that. Um, so you'll still feel the energy around that time regardless, but I just wanted to share that um, in case there's any confusion around dates. So that said, I want to go ahead and start with some of the big events that are happening right now in this month of January. So last week, Mars, this planet of war, of passion, of energy, of self-assertion, stationed direct. It ended a retrograde phase where it appeared to be moving backwards in the sky for a few months. It stationed direct. It ended that retrograde. Um, and when that happened, our energy um, kind of surged. So Mars retrograde can lead to kind of a feeling of being a bit unmotivated. Um, our energy is actually still there, but it's turned within. So a lot of our focus, um, a lot of our, our um, energy, our 
direction and so on is just pointed within us for a little while. And so we were experiencing that for some time. It felt like maybe as we tried to move things forward in the external world, that they just kind of stopped or they broke or we got sick or something happened that prevented us from really moving forward um, and moving out into the world. It was very much a time for moving within. Again, now that Mars is direct as of last week, um, things are starting to free up. Our energy is starting to kind of move forward again. We've done some processing and healing around maybe our anger. Um, maybe our courage had a wound to it. Maybe we've experienced some things that have made us kind of fearful. And so with Mars stationing direct now, we're, we're returning to life in a more courageous way. Um, maybe there was something about you know, our, our relationship to our inspiration, um, our joyousness. Maybe we had told ourselves for a while that the things that inspire us, that excite us, aren't worthy for one reason or another. And now that Mars is direct, again, we're really asked to notice what lights us up? What inspires us? What what ignites that inner fire? Um, what keeps our, our soul flame burning? Noticing what those things are and allowing ourselves to do more of those things and see how our energy rises and grows and expands as we do that. We may find that we have a lot more energy to do the things that we don't want to do <laughs> if we acknowledge and honor those things that we do want want to do. So this is a big part of this energetic shift that we're experiencing right now with Mars stationing direct and ending its retrograde. Now this week on January 19th, we have Mercury, the planet of our mind, the stories we tell, um, our communications as well, the words we use, Mercury. Mercury is stationing direct after a retrograde that, that it's been in as well. So again, these retrogrades, they, they call us within for a while and make it kind of difficult to um, assert ourselves or, or kind of force our way forward in the outer world. So much gets turned into the inner world. And it's a very, very powerful healing time to work with a lot of retrogrades, but it can also feel like we're stuck sometimes because we can't physically get ourselves to move forward. Things are breaking with Mercury retrograde. Um, we're getting flat tires. We're, um, you know, experiencing internet outages and technological issues, like all kinds of things can come up around Mercury retrograde, not because, um, you know, Mercury hates us, but because Mercury wants us to turn our thoughts and our focus within for a little while. And so with Mercury stationing direct this week in Capricorn, a lot of the work that we've been doing recently um, is around you know, looking at our guilt, looking at our shame, looking at our definitions of success, um, and kind of rewriting some of these things. Do we need to hold so much guilt? Is the shame that we feel something that we, we should be feeling? Or is it something that we've inherited from a culture, from society at large, from our family, from a parent? You know, sometimes shame can be a healthy emotion. If, if we're really like 
you know, off in left field and we're doing something that could be hurtful to others. But a lot of the time we carry shame that we just don't need. Um, it's not healthy for us. It's not productive. It keeps us playing small. It keeps us limited in what we can achieve. So again, where does this guilt, where does this shame come from? Is it something bigger than than our families? Is it something that's, um, you know, kind of societal? Or is it something that we can point back to our upbringing, point back to maybe education, maybe um, experiences we've had in, in partnerships or relationships? Is it something from the past um, that we can address and heal and resolve and move on from? Capricorn is also associated with boundaries. And so if we haven't had healthy boundaries, we're asked to get comfortable asserting our boundaries and communicating Mercury, our boundaries with this retrograde. If setting up boundaries has proven to be something that, that just didn't work for us. Maybe we had people kind of override or um, disrespect our boundaries, just pretend that they weren't there when we were trying to set them or assert them. Then there could be a call for some relationship shifts during this Mercury retrograde as well. Um, so it'll kind of vary by person, but because Mercury was sitting conjunct Venus, that goddess of relationships, right when the retrograde began, for a lot of people, there may be a need to make some changes, make some shifts in the way we think about ourselves in relationships, in the way that we think about relationships in general. You know, maybe we have these old stories about who we need to be in relationships, what love looks like in a relationship. Um, and maybe there's an opportunity to rewrite that as well so that we can be a little bit freer, a little bit more authentic, honor ourselves more in our relationships and our relational dynamics in general. So there's a lot going on with that Mercury retrograde we've been experiencing, um, but a lot of it asks us to kind of, you know, come back to the truth of who we are that, that lives beneath all of these stories. You know, if we feel guilt and shame, you know, it asks us to, to look at the truth. Are we people who are good, who are trying our best, who are, you know, productive members of society, even if we're not hyper-productive, <laughs> you know, and even if we're not productive members of society, like, is is there another way of, of looking at ourselves, of loving ourselves? Capricorn, you know, can, can really move us into this space of feeling like we're never doing enough. We're never accomplishing enough. We climb one mountain and it says, hey, there's another mountain over there that's taller. And while it's good to always be striving to, to be our best and to do our best, you know, can we celebrate who we are, where we are, what we have accomplished? You know, looking back on all of the things that we've done, can we celebrate that instead of always feeling guilty that we haven't done more, that we're not further along. So again, these are some of the stories that that Capricorn Mercury retrograde has been asking us to reflect on, to rewrite, so that as we move forward and, and we start working toward new goals and aspirations or continuing the ones that we have been working on um, to date, there's this opportunity to feel better about ourselves, to feel um, you know, confident and, 
you know, happy with, with who we are, what we've done and where we're going, um, to really stand in our authority. And by authority, I usually think of that as the authorship of our own life story. You know, is it okay to be who I am, to be where I am, to be as far as I am, to be doing things the way that I'm doing them? If it's not okay by me, then I'll make changes. But if it is, this is this is an energy of reclaiming our self-sovereignty and, and really being comfortable with, again, just, you know, writing our own life story and doing it in a way that really honors that. And going forward, there's going to be some other energetic shifts that really support this. But this is a really cool way to be starting 2023, becoming that author of our own life story. In a few more days on January 23rd, Uranus is going to station direct at 14 degrees Taurus. Um, and I'll go back and, and um, specify all of the, these degrees in case you have planets around um, those degrees in your birth chart. Um, but Uranus, Uranus is this energy um, that asks us to, again, awaken to these unconscious parts of ourselves so we can liberate ourselves from them. Very aligned with this work, this, this podcast that I'm, I'm creating and, and beginning right now and that will blossom with other people coming on board and, and being part of it as well. Um, so that the whole goal of Uranus is to get us to wake up to who we truly are. This is the sign associated with authentic selfhood um, and free ourselves from, liberate ourselves from anything that isn't us, this, this planet Uranus. Um, and so Next week, when it stations direct, um, again, we've been working with this internalized energy of Uranus, a lot of inner work, a lot of, um, you know, breaking ourselves free from things that aren't true to us, that aren't authentic to us, um, so that we can move forward. And when Uranus stations direct, there's going to be an opportunity to take what we've learned about ourselves, to take this hidden genius that's unique to us and bring it to the world in new and different ways to take you know this this goal of, of liberating ourselves liberating others uplifting others awakening others supporting others in some bigger way and again start bringing that out into the world um uranus is also the change maker and so again while it's been retrograde so much of this change has been internal change but maybe just maybe starting next week, this internal change that we've all been making on our own um, will start to manifest in some really cool, positive, exciting external changes in the world. And maybe we'll be a part of that, you know, playing our own unique, however small part in, in creating um, this change and bringing about a new world, a new way of being. And so that's the energy of Uranus. And again, um, dates and degrees for these retrogrades, these, these stationing direct points. Um, Mars stationed direct on the 13th universal time at eight degrees Gemini. So if you have planets at eight degrees of Gemini or at eight degrees of Sagittarius, Virgo, or Pisces, the other mutable signs, um, you may have felt this retrograde more strongly, especially when it's stationed direct, when Mars stationed direct. Um, and so when I say 
eight degrees of Gemini, that's where Mars station direct, or eight degrees of Sagittarius, Pisces, or Virgo. I'm saying that because Mars would have been making really strong aspects um, or had a really strong relationship to any of those other planets around eight degrees Virgo, eight degrees Pisces. It would have been making a square, kind of this tense, challenging, growth-oriented aspect. At eight degrees Sagittarius, it would have been making an opposition, um, another really, um, you know, strong aspect that, that encourages some change, that encourages some growth. Um, so when I go through the rest of these degrees and I I kind of bring up that there's other degrees that may have felt um, these, these planetary stations really strongly. Um, that's what I mean. We're talking about squares, oppositions, conjunctions, major aspects that these planets would be making. So Mercury stations direct again on the 19th this week at 8 degrees Capricorn. People with planets at 8 degrees Capricorn, around 8 degrees Cancer, or around 8 degrees of Aries or Libra would also be feeling this stationing direct of Mercury very strongly in a more pronounced way, maybe than the average person. Um, and then Uranus will station direct on the 23rd of January next week at 14 degrees of Taurus. Um, and once again, 14 degrees of Taurus, any personal planets that you have around that degree or your ascendant, your midheaven, your descendant, your IC, um, any of these significant angles, things like that, the lunar nodes, it doesn't just have to be a planet, anything major going on in your birth chart um, around 14 degrees of Taurus. Um, or 14 degrees Scorpio, 14 degrees of um, Leo or Aquarius, any of these signs will be feeling this station direct of Uranus a bit more strongly. Um, after the 23rd until April 21st, we're going to have this really cool window where we don't have any planetary retrogrades. Um, so while there's nothing wrong with retrogrades, lots of fantastic inner work, great time for healing and so on, um, having all, all of the major planets stationed direct, having them all moving forward is a really, really powerful time for moving forward on our big projects, on our dreams, on these things that maybe we've been you know, gestating and, and kind of um, thinking on and creating in our inner worlds for some time now. This next couple of months, starting next week, is going to be the perfect time to start bringing those things to fruition in the tangible world um, outside of us, right? This is a great time to birth any, you know, any aspiration, any um, project, any, you know, vision that that we've been working with for some time this is going to be the time to start taking major steps forward um, with those projects with those ideas and again fantastic manifestation energy with all of those planets stationed direct so that is just the astrology for the very beginning of the year. Um, now I want to talk about a few of the major events that are coming up and um, a couple of, of more minor ones that, that we'll still feel in a pretty major way. Okay, so let's start with Jupiter. Jupiter is one of our favorite planets to work with, whether we know about Jupiter or not. <laughs> 
because it's the planet of luck and growth and expansion and adventure. Um, it's a planet that encourages us to take a risk. It encourages us to be joyous and have fun, um, to be lighthearted, to uplift ourselves and uplift others. Generally speaking, it is a generous, gregarious, fun-loving, and, and deeply philosophical and wise planet as well. Um, and so when we're working with Jupiter, it's it's generally a pretty exciting, inspired, um, happy time. <laughs> and so Jupiter is going to be in the sign Aries um, through the, the 16th of May. And then it'll spend the rest of the year in Taurus. Um, and so while Jupiter is in Aries, it's going to be making a conjunction with a couple of different planets. Right now, it's hanging out with Juno, who's the goddess of marriage. And so that's a really fantastic time in our committed partnerships and relationships. We might experience um, a bit more growth than usual in that regard. We may experience kind of more levity, more play playfulness um and and we might experience you know kind of new adventures or, or travel opportunities arising with our partners as well for people who are unpartnered it could also be a time where there's kind of an influx of, of new potential partners entering into um one's life and so right now that's that's kind of the initial energy we're working with with jupiter is this um kind of conjunction that it's making with this marriage goddess juno in the sky Soon, um, starting around the 11th of February until about April 9th, we're going to be feeling this, this energy of um, togetherness between Chiron. Chiron is the wounded healer, the coach, the mentor, the philosopher, the teacher, um, but, but most of all, the healer between Chiron and Jupiter. And so when we have Jupiter and Chiron coming together, it could be that there's an opportunity to really heal something, um, you know, surrounding our, our belief in our luck, our belief in our ability to go after what we want and be successful. Um, in general, Jupiter has a link to belief, so it could be a really powerful time to, to heal old beliefs that have maybe kept us from, from going after what we want, from living our purpose, from stepping into our truth, and so on. Um, but in general, I'd, I'd say it's a really powerful time for any kind of healing work. Um, you know, if we need a massage and, and we've really been yearning for, for some sort of body work, having Jupiter and Chiron come together, it's like through that, that healing work, by getting that massage, we can, you know, grow and, and expand far beyond we thought possible by just kind of focusing on that healing, that self-care. Um, Similarly, for people who are in healing and helping professions, having Jupiter and Chiron come together is a really fantastic time to, to grow and expand your, your business, to reach new people, reach new clients. There's both this really strong urge for healing um, with Jupiter and Chiron coming together, like we can unlock some really cool part of ourselves we didn't know was there if we get that healing work done, um, and a really powerful time for those who offer healing services. Similarly, since Chiron also has this emphasis on 
teaching and and wisdom um, as well as like mentorship and coaching anyone in any of those professions could really benefit from Jupiter and Chiron coming together as well as those who have a strong desire to learn um, whether it's learning about you know medicine or or alternative healing or something in that space whether it's learning about oneself um, you know Jupiter and, and Chiron are both in Aries at this time so this could also be you know, learning um, about something Aryan like um, martial arts or, um, you know, something that kind of helps to unlock that that inner warrior. Um, doing some sort of warrior training or retreat around that time could be really powerful too. I know there's like really cool retreats around goddess um, warriors and, and things like that. All of these things could really help us grow and expand through this healing journey, through learning um, with Jupiter and Chiron coming together. The exact date those two will form a conjunction is March 12th. So um, if you're starting to, to feel this, this urge to heal, like in, in early to mid-February, um, you may feel like, you know, you really want to take a step, do the retreat, take some action around the 12th of March when the energy is at its peak. Um, Jupiter is also going to be forming a conjunction with the North Node. So the North Node in astrology is um, the, the oppositional point to that South Node I talked about earlier. South Node represents where we're coming from, past lifetimes, the karmic past. The North Node represents this evolutionary growth opportunity, something that we're here to develop, to move toward in this lifetime. Um, and that conjunction is going to happen once, the, once Jupiter moves into Taurus, in May. So from May 12th to June 20th, we're going to feel this energy really strongly of Jupiter and the North Node coming together, where we're really encouraged to believe in ourselves, to be bigger, to go after what we want, to take risks, and so on. And the exact date is going to be on the 2nd of June, the exact conjunction between these two um, planetary entities, Jupiter and the North Node of the Moon. Um, since this will all be playing out in Taurus, we're talking about major manifestation energy. Taurus is an earth sign. It's tangible. It's rooted. It's grounded. Um, and it's very embodied. And so any sort of work, any sort of um, practices, anything that, that really helps us um, manifest in this tangible, physical, bodily realm um, will be highlighted around that time. And again, when we think about um, Taurus, you know, it does tend to have a link to financial um, ability, like the ability to, to create financial stability for ourselves. Um, but it's not the only thing that Taurus is linked to. So there could be, you know, some financial abundance coming when the North Node and Jupiter come together. Um, again, if we're really honoring that call of Jupiter and Taurus of the North Node, which is all about being grounded, um, coming back to our true core values, um, you know, honoring our bodies, honoring this material plane, honoring the earth, all of these things. If we really are, are tuning into that, we can experience some sort of, of positive growth, some sort of positive evolution 
positive evolution and, and maybe even some sort of abundance around that time. But again, really powerful manifestation energy with Jupiter and the North Node coming together. Anything that we've been trying to grow toward um, is being given an epic boost <laughs> by Jupiter joining the North Node in Taurus. Um, and again, the dates for that around May 12th through June 20th with the exact conjunction happening on June 2nd. Um, so those are some of the, the really big energies that we're going to be experiencing around Jupiter. Um, and again, any of those dates that I mentioned, when we have Jupiter in the mix, it's just about being generous and being joyous. Um, you know, being generous with our love, our energy, our time, um, being generous with ourselves as well, like giving ourselves the things we need to be happy, um, taking the adventures that we want to take. You know, Jupiter is very much a sign of expanding our horizons, whether this is mental adventures by signing up for a course we're interested in, or physical adventures by going and traveling to a place we've never been to, or maybe both. Um, really letting ourselves grow and and not being afraid of being too big not being afraid of being too much not being afraid of um you know what others will think that is jupiter's energy just be big be brilliant be you know joyous and and just let that rub off on those around you um so that is the energy of jupiter for this year. Okay, moving on to Saturn. Saturn is changing signs this year as well. We have Jupiter going from Aries to Taurus. Jupiter typically changes signs each year, but Saturn doesn't always change signs. Saturn changes signs every two and a half years or so. And so this year, it's going to be moving on from Aquarius, where it's been for almost two and a half years now, and entering Pisces on the 7th of March. And so Saturn in Pisces is asking us to shift the nature of our great works, shift the nature of, you know, a lot of our, our focus and our energy toward compassion toward making our dreams a reality, maybe toward spirituality and, and really putting a lot of focus on working on our own spiritual nature, our own spiritual journey, um, perhaps selfless service. If, if we've really been wanting to make a positive difference in the world, um, then Saturn moving into Pisces is a time where kind of collectively we're all going to be feeling that encouragement, that it's a productive and a worthwhile thing to volunteer, to help others without any sort of, of gain or reward. Um, so, so this is some of the energy of Saturn entering Pisces. Similarly, for those who are artists um, or creatives of some, some kind, having Saturn move into Pisces really supports that kind of work. 
I know for me personally, when Saturn was in Aquarius, my astrology career really started to take off because Aquarius has a link to astrologers. It has a link to the cosmos, to the skies in general. Um, Aquarius is also linked with opening our minds to, to new and different things. It's linked to healing trauma. And all of these things are really supportive when you're doing um, astrological work that's maybe, you know, a little bit different <laughs> um, than, than the average career path. And um, especially with the type of work I do, because it's linked to healing kind of past life traumas, um, acknowledging those things, resolving them, and so on. Um, and so Saturn and Aquarius really, really supported that kind of work for me personally. Um, for those who work in the fields, again, of, of artistry of any kind, any sort of creative field, um, for those who are, are really trying to make a difference, maybe with nonprofit work, with spiritual work, and so on, Saturn entering Pisces, this is your time. This is a power, powerful, powerful time for the spiritual healers, for, um, for those who really feel this strong call to service. Um, and so honor that, get excited about it, be um, ready to work with kind of the extra push that Saturn gives you if you work in any of those spaces. And even if you don't work in those spaces, you know, let yourself be carried by the compassionate, forgiving, healing qualities that Saturn and Pisces brings. If you have a really big dream, but you've been afraid to chase it, Saturn gives you the endurance and the willpower and the work ethic to make those dreams a reality, whatever they may be. So Saturn entering Pisces, this is a really, really powerful time. Once again, for manifestation, especially around these beautiful dreams and visions that we've been having that maybe feel like they're too far off in the future to make a reality. This is the time. This is the future. <laughs> this is when it's, it's um, you know, kind of the stars are aligning for those things to come to fruition, to be made a reality. So that's Saturn in Pisces um, starting on March 7th of this year and then from here on out until it moves into Aries it will be in Pisces. Um, now that we've moved through some of kind of the more minor shifts and um, Jupiter and Saturn, we feel in a major way. So these aren't, um, you know, minor from that perspective, but, but there are some really slow moving planets or rather planets that are really far away from the sun. Um, so they have a really long orbit that are also changing sign this year. And those are some really epic shifts because we're talking about you know generational shifts we're talking about planets that that's that take um you know in the case of pluto which i'm about to talk to about to talk about that take 248 years or more um, to get around the sun, to move through all the zodiac signs. Um, and so these are, are really um, big, powerful moments when these planets change from one sign to another. And this year, we have Pluto, which I just mentioned, um, making one of those big evolutionary leaps into a new sign. So Pluto has been in Capricorn since 2008. Um, and in Capricorn, there's been a big emphasis on kind of the death 
Um, Pluto is, is the god of death in the underworld in Roman mythology, um, a big emphasis on death and rebirth of, of major systems, major structures, all of these things ruled by Capricorn. Um, and it began back in 2008 with the financial crisis, with the huge crash of, of um, you know, our, our banking and financial systems. We realized that there were flaws, major flaws <laughs> in the system. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of this Pluto and Capricorn era. Um, it started with a recession. It started with this recognition that we needed to make some change. Um, we've seen during this time a lot of big shifts. We've seen, you know, groups and, and populations who have been oppressed um, with, with um Capricorn also being linked to, in its shadow form, to oppression, oppression of certain groups, um, and kind of authoritarian, authoritarian regimes and, and things like that. Um, during this time, we've seen a lot of these oppressed groups, um, people who, you know, haven't been invited to the proverbial table to, to make decisions, to play a bigger role in society. We've seen um, these, these groups, the disenfranchised, standing up against, you know, these this small minority that's kind of chosen to stay in power. Power is another Pluto word. Um, and we've seen a lot of changes have to happen. Systemic changes, systemic injustice has been um, something that's, that's had to be addressed. And so again, all of these things have been part of this um, journey of, of Pluto, this god of death and rebirth of power, um, moving through the sign Capricorn. Now, um, starting on March 24th of this year, we're going to get a taste of Pluto and Aquarius, the next sign out. Um, and it's only going to be in Aquarius from March 24th until June 11th. And then it'll be back in Capricorn for the rest of 2023. It's going to retrograde back into Capricorn. Um, and then it'll move back into Aquarius next year. Um, but we are getting this initial glimpse of what Pluto and Aquarius could look like. Um, so before we get into what it could look like in the future, let's talk a little bit about what happened the last time Pluto was in Aquarius, which was back from 1777 to 1798. Um, and astrologer and historian Stefan Hofbauer um, points out that this Phase when Pluto was last in Aquarius brought an end to a state-based society. There was a clear separation of church and state. Human and civil rights were formulated, and freedom of trade was introduced. It was also a time of revolutions <laughs> and and major changes. Um, and and you know some of these kind of more systemic changes um, make a lot of sense it came after pluto was in capricorn aquarius is linked to um, a major shift of power away from a small privileged um, authoritarian group in capricorn and and shifting it back to the people um, pluto and aquarius is very much an energy of power to the people and so all of those things that i just mentioned were manifestations of that of power moving away from a small group um, to the, the rest of the people to the majority. Um, and, and so much of the sign Aquarius um, is 
you know, linked to humanitarianism. It's linked to freedom, freedom of all people, freedom from oppression. And so these are some of the themes that we can potentially expect to see um, as Pluto is shifting into Aquarius. Um, taking a quick step back and, and looking a little bit deeper at Pluto as an archetype. Um, so Pluto was that Roman god of death, of the underworld, but it was also linked to incredible wealth um, because gems and precious metals came from the earth, came from underground, seemed to come from the underworld. Um, and we tend to see it as a, a planet linked to power as well, both experiences of disempowerment um, as well well as experiences of, of kind of reclaiming our power. Um, while Pluto is, you know, ruled by or, or it, it is um, associated with this, this god of the underworld, there was also a goddess of the underworld in Greco-Roman mythology, and that was Persephone. Um, and so Persephone is an energy that we often experience ourselves kind of on a personal level when we see Pluto um, making big moves in the sky. Persephone is abducted by Pluto in mythology. She's taken into the underworld. Um, and while this is a really terrible thing, a terrible experience on some levels, she ultimately does become the queen of the underworld and then has the power to go back and forth between the, the world of the dead and the world of the living, which very few deities had that power. And so when we think about Persephone, she has this link to earlier mythologies like Inanna um, and Ishtar, who made their descent into the underworld and kind of um, came back and empowered, came back, um, you know, as great goddesses, whereas they went in kind of as these, these maiden goddesses who weren't very mature, who haven't, hadn't faced the darkness yet. Persephone is kind of the same entity, the same kind of archetype. And so when we're working with big Pluto shifts, we're also working with Persephone. We're working with this part of ourselves that needs to mature on some level through some challenge, through some difficulty, maybe through some darkness. And so part of, of you know, working with um, Pluto is, is to work with his counterpart. We're working with the masculine side, which is maybe more active in nature, big changes happening on a society level. We're also working with the feminine side that's maybe a bit more receptive in nature. Maybe this is an internalization of the energy. So if we're looking um, to Pluto and Aquarius to really make this shift from power being kind of um, designated to a select few to power being returned to all people, then as human beings, as people, it's our responsibility, this, this inner Persephone experience of, of working with um, Pluto and Plutonian energy, it's our responsibility to make the inner change to be empowered. Um, if there's challenges, if there's difficulties that arise as Pluto makes the shift into Aquarius, how can we um, grow through those challenges? How can we grow through the darkness? Um, it's not uncommon as planets move from Capricorn into Aquarius in particular for there to be some major resistance um, from people who aren't ready for change. Aquarius is progressive in nature. It really wants to bring about some, some 
you know, new and, and different ideas, new perspectives. It wants us to open our mind. It wants us to change. And people who aren't ready for change, as represented by maybe like shadow Capricorn, um, they'll resist. They're, they're not going to want to to eagerly jump into this whole like new paradigm new power paradigm power to the people <laughs> not everyone's going to be ready for that they're going to be afraid that that in so doing they're going to lose power or the power to the people is really just going to shift power to another small group versus really go to all people right and so um recognizing that that there may be that shift in the world there may be that shift within us too um it's each of our responsibilities to do the work of liberating ourselves um of empowering ourselves first and foremost as part of this process um and also noticing where maybe we have some hang-ups around change where maybe we're not truly ready for universal equality if there's something within us that that feels that way this is a powerful powerful time to turn this energy within to work with the persephone side of this archetype and um and do that that inner transformative work that will get us ready to move forward and be part of all of the positive changes and positive potentials progressive potentials that are available to us now. Okay, um, Aquarius. Aquarius as a sign, um, it is linked to higher information. So we may find as Pluto moves into to Aquarius, you know, we're talking about the underworld of Pluto. So maybe information is coming from um you know, those who have passed away, like when we, we think about kind of this thinning of, of the um, veil um, between us and the spirit world, maybe there's, you know, wisdom, maybe there's information that can come from history, that can come from the dead, that can come from the past in some way that will arise with, with Pluto and Aquarius. Um, higher information, we're also talking about, you know, kind of our, our higher mind. So this is that part of us that can kind of dispassionately observe all of the, the emotional dramas, the traumas, the woundedness, the pain, the the joy, like everything that comes up for us, all of these emotional experiences that we have, um, the ability to kind of you know, look at look at all of that from this peaceful, dispassionate place, all of the the things that we're experiencing in this kind of emotional level. Um, and and to be able to kind of parse through that and recognize, you know, the truth in it all versus getting caught in it and, and swept up in it and carried away by it. Um, so higher information in this case, and um, this this um side of Aquarius, this link to higher information, it could be lower information. It could come once again from the proverbial underworld, from those who have passed on. It could come from our higher self, this part of us that can look on, um, observe these emotional dramas and and kind of um you know, be able to, to rise above them, to awaken to them so they're not unconscious. Um, once again, this theme of awakening to our unconscious, that is a big part of working with this Aquarius energy. Um, and just saying that, you know, this this is a sign of mental awakenings um, that liberate us from living in darkness. And so 
part of the way that people have historic historically um, maintained power over others is to take away their right to education, their right to learn, to go to school. And um, there's still a lot of parts of the world where certain populations, um, women in particular, young girls, aren't allowed to go to school. Or there are major kind of blocks or, or limitations or things put in the way to prevent that from happening. Um, when we think about the Dark Ages, part of why they were dark is because books were burned. Learning was discouraged. Anything outside of religious learning was, was really... Um, you know, persecuted. It, it was a really difficult time <laughs> um, for learning and, and growing and thinking critically because um, part of maintaining power is to prevent people from using their, their minds to their fullest potential, from thinking for themselves. And so, so much of working with Aquarius energy, so much of gaining power um, as individuals of bringing power back to the people is through education, access to learning. Um, with COVID, so much of, um, you know, learning and education was brought online. And while COVID has been a terrible um, thing in, in so many ways and a lot of lives have been lost, one of the benefits of it is that we have been able to, to move a lot of um, learning and, and education into this space that's a lot more um, accessible. Like people who live in areas where it's really difficult to get to school, um, they can learn online now. And it becomes less expensive if you're not trying to have all of these fancy, beautiful buildings and, and everything's hosted online. And so again, there's there's already some shifts that have begun to happen in this regard, but um, that's another big theme is, is both um, you know, liberating ourselves from any beliefs that we have about how much we can learn, how intelligent we can be, how um how capable our minds are. We've, we set so many limits around that sometimes and also any limitations around, you know, learning that, that we see or observe happening in the world. This is a big um, area where we'll probably want to either participate in or, or kind of be looking for shifts um, as Pluto moves into Aquarius. Bringing power to the people is allowing people to learn, to speak, to think critically, to use their minds to their fullest potential. <clears throat> um, okay. One other quick note on Aquarius. So um, I've been reading this really fantastic book that I highly recommend to anyone who's interested in astrology and has maybe kind of scratched the surface but wants to go deeper. It's called Mythic Astrology by Ariel Gutman and Kenneth Johnson. And what this book does is it looks at some of the other kind of um, mythological archetypes linked to the different signs, linked to the different planets. So kind of gets us to think beyond um, kind of like the standard planetary rulers and sign, or sorry, the standard sign rulers and, and um, you know, kind of the planetary associations and things like that um, so that we can view all of this astrology from a different perspective. Um, and a few of the archetypal associations that this book brings up for Aquarius are Prometheus. So this is very much the kind of energy we think of when we think of Aquarius. Um, this is you know, the 
god or the titan god who stole fire from the gods, the other gods, um, in order to bring light to the people, to bring warmth to the people, to bring illumination to the people. When we think of fire as bringing light, this is very much bringing information, bringing learning, and through learning and information, bringing power. Um, but Juno, Juno, the goddess of marriage, was also associated with um, Aquarius. She was the Olympian ruler of Aquarius back in, in Greek times. And so Juno has this emphasis on gender equality, on, um, you know, being able to bring two separate or different entities together um, and allow them to experience mutual respect, mutual empowerment, and a really life-giving form of synergy when their differences are um, brought together and, and you know, maximized to, to birth something really cool and different and new. And so another side of this um, Pluto and Aquarius is also looking at, you know, gender equality, which has been in the news more recently with everything that's been happening in Iran, um, as well as in the United States with, you know, kind of this, this question of like, should women have a constitutional right to abortion? Um, there's There's been a lot of, of you know, things kind of starting to surge and percolate as we move toward this, this Pluto and Aquarius um, surrounding you know, gender equality in particular. And as we move um, toward more equality between genders, this is like one of the, the major first steps toward equality for all people. Um, it's something that we haven't mastered yet. It's been, you know, something that at least for a couple of millennia now, we've we've actually like slipped pretty far back on is, is finding some sort of balance and equality between the genders. And I don't just mean men and women, I mean, you know, like the feminine and the masculine in more of an archetypal way as well. Um, they're a very natural and complementary balance to one another. We all have both within us. And yet um, there has been a, a major gosh, like just a major imbalance that we've been experiencing. And so again, Pluto and Aquarius is a powerful time, especially with that, that Juno rulership, um, ancient rulership to find a, a new balance there. And it all starts at home. It starts within us. It starts within our own um, internal balance of these masculine and feminine energies, how those play out in our relationships with others. Um, and in the long run, it, it will manifest, um, you know, in, in bigger ways out in the world world as we're doing this work ourselves personally. <clears throat> the only major aspects that um, Pluto will make while it's in Aquarius this year are that it will square Jupiter at zero degrees of Aquarius. So um, Jupiter will be at um, zero degrees of Taurus and, and uh, Pluto will be at zero degrees of Aquarius on May 18th. And so this could be a really good thing. <laughs> um, and it could also be a really challenging thing because Taurus is a sign that doesn't love change. Aquarius kind of demands change and especially Pluto and Aquarius. So for us personally, a really powerful moment for kind of reflecting on um, the parts of us that, that don't want to change, that, um, you know, want to stay 
maybe stuck in like a, a comfort rut that want to, to stick with things the way they've always been um, and and kind of notice what's rising up from deep within us that that does want to change. Like what part of our authentic selves is ready for change? This is how we can work with this energy internally. Um, then on the 20th of, of um, May, so right after that Jupiter square, Pluto will oppose Mars. And then on the 5th of June, it will oppose Venus, um, all from zero degrees of Aquarius. Um, and so Venus and Mars will then be at, at zero degrees of Leo. So Venus, Mars, we're thinking relationships. We're talking about once again, Mars, the masculine, Venus, the feminine, finding some sort of new understanding around the masculine and feminine. Um, Aquarius opening our minds to new ways of thinking about this gender polarity. Maybe it doesn't have to be a polarity anymore. Maybe there's something really new and different we can think about when it comes to gender um, and so on. So again, Pluto will be at zero degrees of Aquarius. These other planets will be at zero Leo, zero Taurus. Um, any planets at zero Scorpio will also feel this really strongly or around zero degrees of any of those fixed signs. So if you have those prominent in your chart, just knowing that, that this spring and, and heading into um, the early summer, like Pluto is going to be activating those planets for you. And then Jupiter will and Mars and Venus kind of all around the same time. So um, big shifts, big changes, a big opportunity to let go of stuff that isn't working for you to open your mind to something new. Okay. <clears throat> Lastly, um, as far as big planetary shifts are concerned, there's one more shift I'll talk about after this, but last big planetary shift, we have Sedna. Sedna is the farthest out um, dwarf planet in our solar system. Um, and she represents kind of this, this edge between our current level of consciousness and what, what lies beyond. Um, Sedna is going to be changing signs. She's going to move into Gemini on the 15th of June um, and will remain there until the 22nd of November. Um, she's going to return to Taurus for the end of 2023, so from late November on, she'll be back in Taurus. But again, this is a really big shift <laughs> because Sedna takes 11,408 years to orbit the sun. So she hasn't been in Gemini for a really long time, <laughs> and um, and she's you know entering Gemini for you know, the first and only time for, for many thousands of years. So anytime she's making a big shift or, or a planetary or a, sorry, a sign shift, I'm moving from one sign to the next. We know that there's something really big, really epochal kind of coming for us. Um, another really exciting thing about Sedna is that she's moving toward Earth right now as she transits Gemini. She's going to be at her closest point in her orbit around the sun at in the year 2075. So between now and then, between now and the 2070s, her influence on Earth is going to be growing. So just kind of keep that in mind in this year as, as she moves into Gemini and kind of the, the months and years to come. Um, Sedna, her archetype, this consciousness shifting planet is getting closer and closer to Earth.
Um, so Sedna is an Inuit goddess. Um, she is um, associated with basically having to stop clinging to an old way of life in order to come into our fullest purpose. We have to release the known. We have to release an old level of consciousness that feels comfortable, even if it's truly uncomfortable, even if it kind of sucks. <laughs> like it's really not working for us, um, but, but we still feel comfortable in it because it's what we know. Um, Sedna represents this need this this requirement essentially to stop clinging to that old way in order for something radically and wildly new to be born in order to truly shift our consciousness and she's asking us to do that on a collective level right now but also on a personal level um one really cool thing about Gemini that I also learned from that book, Mythic Astrology, is that Gemini we think of as the sign of the twins, of Castor and Pollux, these two male twins, one that's divine, one that is not, a human and an immortal. Um, and when we think about, um, you know, Gemini in this regard, there's kind of this, this side of us that's, you know, stuck here on earth. And then there's a part of us that kind of like desires to transcend earth and so on. Pisces has kind of a similar dualistic energy. Um, but in reality, there were more than one set of twins. It was actually two sets of twins, um, Castor and Pollux, and then Helen and Clytemnestra, um, female twins and male twins that are all a part of this Gemini archetype. It's a quaternity rather than just, you know, this these twins, um, a fourfold symbol of wholeness. It includes masculine and feminine, human and divine elements. Um, and so when we're thinking about Sedna shifting into Gemini, kind of, you know, continuing with this theme of Pluto and Aquarius, we're moving into a space where we're kind of trying to transcend um, dualistic thinking while also making more space for duality. So can we get past this, this way of, you know, everything being either right or wrong, black or white, you know, move away from these, these spectrums where there's only two options, um, while also inviting in, you know, the, the possibility that more than one thing can be true at the same time. Um, and when we think about, you know, Castor and Pollux having this female set of twins as well in the mix, you know, gender equality is coming up once again, and also holding space for our full range and experience of gender within ourselves, of, of masculine, of feminine, of, of things that maybe aren't either that are kind of genderless or that take on a different kind of gender that we've defined before. There's this opportunity with Sedna moving into Gemini to really evolve and shift our consciousness when we think about duality, polarities, gender, and all of these things while also, again, creating more space and acceptance for things to be multifaceted, for them to be 
complex um, and, and not clear cut and, and non-obvious. Um, Gemini also has this link, same with Aquarius, um, to diversity and, and really recognizing that diversity is the spice of life, that things become more exciting, that they're better when things are more diverse. Diversity of experience, diversity of people, diversity of you know, educational opportunities versus just kind of feeling forced down one path. Um, so all of this is, is you know, kind of these energies that Sedna is encouraging us to embrace and to explore as she moves into Gemini. Um, Gemini was also linked to um, Apollo in um, Olympian mythology or in, in Olympian cosmology, rather. And Apollo was the god of the sun. He was linked to music and healing and things like that. Um, so when we think about Apollo in that regard, you know, maybe there's new um, kind of consciousness shifts when it comes to, to healing and to thinking about how we heal. Maybe there's a consciousness shift available um, around sound, around um, the way we interact with sound or music, if, if you work in, a, in that kind of field or if you're drawn to, to music in any of its forms. Um, maybe there's something new we can learn from music. Maybe music education will kind of take the forefront again. Um, Apollo was also a twin. He was the, the twin of Artemis or Diana in Greco-Roman mythology. And so again, we have this balance of the masculine and the feminine. We have this twin energy kind of existing as, as one entity on some level, asking us to notice who these twins are within us. Maybe there's quadruplets, <laughs> um, you know, like this, this story with um, Pollux and Castor and Helen and Clytemnestra. Um, so, so really just noticing like all of these facets of ourselves, all of these beings that exist within us, all of these archetypes um, and, you know, what they have to offer, you know, not, you know, forcing one to be repressed just because we're expressing another and we we can't seem to see how the two can get along like gemini um as an e energy and especially with sedna moving into into gemini says it's time to release these old ways of of thinking about you know ourselves thinking about these these facets of our personality and, and find like a new way that they can all harmonize and work together um and see the beauty in in all of them see the beauty in all of these different aspects of ourselves um okay a few other thoughts about sedna as it moves into gemini um it's been posited that Sedna and Gemini could bring about the birth of people. Um, so quite literally, like people born with Sedna and Gemini who could use technology and philosophy to change the world. Um, this might be one of the biggest consciousness shifts we experience to date. Um, and it could be something that's kind of helping us prepare for, um, some believe, like a, a new golden age. Um, again, so much of our experience is dictated by our minds. Gemini is linked to the mind with mindset shifts, with the release of, of an old limiting consciousness and kind of the opening to a new consciousness. Everything has the potential to change. Nothing has to stay as it once was. Um, we'll decide 
what makes sense to keep as we open ourselves to this new consciousness. Um, but, but there's a really powerful opportunity to be prepared for and kind of um, move toward a, a very new way of, of thinking, a new way of communicating, and so on. Um, so again, this could be an evolution in our approach to education, especially with Pluto and Aquarius. Um, education for all on a global scale, not just the privileged, would be kind of a, a joint energy here between Sedna and Gemini and Pluto and Aquarius. Um, there could be drastic advancements in communication, potentially new languages or ways of thinking about language could arise out of this. Um, maybe even there will be new linguists or, or existing linguists that um, decide to, to decipher previously undecipherable languages, um, maybe with technology, like Linear A, the language of the goddess-worshipping ancient Minoans, or Proto-Elamite, the ancient language of modern-day Iran. There might be these really fascinating things that we can learn from the past by having um, a new understanding of these languages that have um, kind of evaded us or, or stumped us to date. Um, there could be heightened curiosity about space at this time, what lies beyond our solar system. Um, there may even be the opportunity to connect with extra extraterrestrial beings at this time. Like the sky is no longer the limit <laughs> when the limiting planet, the, the farthest known planet in the, the solar system, um, is changing signs. Like maybe we'll even discover a planet beyond Sedna and that will shift our consciousness. There's so many potentials that exist with this, but most of the work that we're here to do as individuals is within, um, opening our own minds, changing our own minds, releasing our cling to the things that no longer serve us, that keep us stuck in the past, so we can be open to something drastically and wildly and beautifully new and different. Okay, last note I want to make before I close. I know this has been very long, so thank you so much for listening. Um, that is that the north and south node of the moon, um, this evolutionary axis, they change signs. They've been in Taurus, the north node in Taurus, and Scorpio, the south node, this point of release, the karmic past. Um, so with that axis, we've been working with um, a lot of, of moving toward more peace, more calm, more groundedness, more embodiment. I'm reconnecting with our core values, Taurus, and releasing a lot of fear, compulsive behaviors, um, you know, kind of confronting and, and handling and managing any darkness that we've repressed um, or otherwise not wanted to address with that south node in Scorpio. And now we're going to have a shift on the 17th of July, where the north node moves into Aries and the south node moves into Libra. And what's really interesting about this shift is that the ruling planets of these signs, um, the traditional ruler of Scorpio is Mars. So the south node ruler has been Mars. Um, the tradition or the ruler of Taurus is Venus. So the, the 
north node ruler has been Venus. Now that's going to get flipped with the south node in Libra, the ruling planet of the south node of the karmic past will be Venus, and the north node ruler, what we're working toward, will be Mars. And so it's going to be a really interesting um, kind of flip-flop experience where we're going toward um, kind of developing that inner warrior as, as the north node moves into Aries. We're working toward the, the redevelopment and re-establishment of a sense of self um, as that north node moves into Aries and we're releasing codependency and overemphasis on um you know, keeping others happy, bending over backwards to make things work well for others, not wanting to rock the boat. Um, all of that would be linked to the south node in Libra. And so that's going to be another really big event coming up on July 17th. I plan to do a whole separate podcast episode on this when the time comes. So I'm not going to go too deep into that right now. Um, but I just wanted to make note of it because we are wrapping up this this final spell with the north node in Taurus, the south node in Scorpio. Um, we still have some lessons to learn, which will definitely come up um, in this next set of eclipses that'll be, um, you know, in like the late April um, to early to mid-May time frame when the sun is in Taurus. And so um, so we, we definitely still have a little bit more work there to do, but we're also going to be experiencing a big shift, a change in signs this year as well. Okay. Um, on that note, I want to go ahead and close. Lots of lots of astrology information. If you have any questions about any of it, um, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, you can connect with me at Karmic Imprints Podcast on social media um, or email me at Diana at North Node Coach if you have questions, recommendations, and so on. I'd totally love to hear from you. Um, and if you liked what you heard today and you want to join me for future episodes, you can subscribe um, on the the various podcast sites. Um, and if you're interested in my work or would like to learn more about what I'm doing with evolutionary astrology and coaching, um, again, you can shoot me a message at any of those social media platforms, send me an email, or check out my website at northnodecoach.com. Thank you again for tuning in today, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and week.